Well, it's good to be here at Porchlight Baptist Church this morning. Glad to have those over here, those watching online. Uh, we're in our uh, Gospel of John sermon series still. This is part number 11. Part number 11 of our Gospel of John sermon series. This morning, Lord willing, we're going to look at John chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. I've titled the message, Jesus' First Recorded Miracle. Jesus' First Recorded Miracle. John chapter 2. When you get there, if you want to open your Bibles there, John chapter 2. And here the Bible says, And the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, They have no wine. Jesus said unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. His mother saith unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. And there were set there six water pots of stone, after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. Jesus said unto them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said unto them, Draw out now and bear unto the governor of the feast. And they bear it. When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom, and saith unto him, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine, and when men have well drunk, then that which is worse. But thou hast kept the good wine until now. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee, and manifested forth his glory, and his disciples believed on him. After this he went down to Capernaum, he and his mother and his brethren, and his disciples, and they continued there not many days. Heavenly Father, thank you this morning for the reading of your word. Help us now as we try to preach we'll, uh, that we glorify you in everything that's said and done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as we pick up here in chapter 2, we left off last time finishing up chapter 1 after the calling of those initial first disciples. Uh, here in our first verse, it says, uh, the, uh, in the third day. Now, this third day is either speaking about the third day after Jesus began calling his disciples and starting on his earthly ministry, or it's, it could mean the third day of this wedding feast. Uh, from what I understand from studying about Jewish marriage feasts, they lasted for a week, seven days they would last. Uh, some believe this third day is referring to the third day of the marriage feast, and thus the reason why they ran out of, of the wine. Uh, I, I really don't know. I believe it's probably referring to, though, personally, the third day after Jesus began his earthly ministry. And I believe, of course, the Bible, numerology, there's nothing that's not important. Uh, three days, we know how important that is. Uh, so many things, you know, Christ arose in three days, uh, the three days journey. Uh, that uh, uh, Abraham took, and just so many things, you know, that center around that number. But uh, this wedding takes place in Cana of Galilee. Now, Cana is about nine miles northeast of of Nazareth, where Jesus grew up. Uh, that's where his mother and father raised him there in Nazareth. And we know last time who was it? Uh, Nathaniel said, "Can anything good come out of Nazareth?" Well, this place is only about nine miles north of that. 
And so it's all in the same region of Galilee. And Galilee is a very important um, region of, of that uh, portion of land. Uh, Jesus' mother Mary, it says there, she uh, was at that wedding. Uh, we don't know why, whether it was a, a family member getting married, a friend of the family. The Bible doesn't say about that. In fact, the Bible doesn't even mention the bride. mentions the groom, doesn't mention the bride at all, but mentions other people there, the governor of the, uh, of the wedding feast. And the governor, uh, by the way, the governor and the, the ruler is the same person it's referring to. Uh, this man would be the ruler over everything that took place during that time. He, I guess you'd call him the, well, they call him the wedding, um, I don't remember what the name is for him, uh, wedding organizer. There's a name for him. I don't remember what it is. I don't care about that stuff. So, uh, But there in verse 2, the Bible says, And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. So at this point, the Gospel of John has told us about five men that, that Jesus has called to be his disciples. This is, would be five, those five of the twelve that he would eventually call. But we know for a fact he's called Andrew, uh, Simon Peter, Philip, Nathaniel, and the other disciple of John the Baptist who was with Andrew, which it doesn't name, which we believe to be the gospel writer John. So um, there are five of them that we know of. Possibly there could be six if James also was there if John was the other called. So I believe, though, I believe it's probably the six, but we know of five that are there with him. Now, they were probably all passing through there after they left, after Jesus called Nathaniel. And, of course, Nathaniel, this is uh, where he's from. And so they're passing through that way. And they've been invited to come to the, to the wedding. Now, uh, from what I also understand about Jewish weddings is the entire city or town was invited whenever there was a wedding that took place. And, like I said, it lasted for an entire week. And so they were all, there was music, there was food, there was the drinking, the wine, the celebration, all these things that took place during this wedding feast. Uh, and it would have been very disrespectful for Jesus to turn down the invitation. It would have been, um, it'd been a big deal, especially because his mother was there. And his mother was probably the one that reached out and said, well, you know, Jesus is coming through here with uh, his men and uh, they probably as well invite him to come in. And so they come. And it's, it appears that Jesus' brothers were probably there too because as we finished up there at the, at the end, it said his mother and his brethren and his disciples. So I believe his brothers were also in attendance of the wedding, even though the Bible doesn't mention that. Now, verse 3, it says, And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, They have no wine. Now, this, this portion of Scripture has always kind of made me uncomfortable. This little dialogue between Mary and Jesus, where it seems kind of odd. Uh, Mary goes to Jesus. Of course, she knows who he is. She was told by Gabriel who he was. He's the Savior of the world. And obviously, she understood he had great powers. The Bible never says that he ever performed any kind of miracles in front of Mary. It's not mentioned up to this point. Uh, so we don't know, but she knows he's got some kind of power. I don't know if she was expecting him to turn the water into wine or, or call somebody to go out and get the wine or what she expected. It doesn't say, but she goes to him and it, it seemed kind of odd to me. 
Um, it's almost as if she's wanting to show off her son, knowing he has some kind of great power and could get things done. It, it kind of seems that way to me. It may not be. Uh, it may just be that I don't understand quite the, the way things worked in their culture. Maybe this was normal. I don't know, but it just seems kind of strange. Um, there are some scurious books out there that want to claim they're lost books of the Bible, and they tell about the life of Jesus from 12 years up to 33 or 30 years old and claim all these miracles and things he'd done. I've read some of these books just to see what they were about. They, they talk about uh, uh, a bird dying and him bringing it back to life and things like that, and, and somebody stoning somebody and bringing them back or something. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. So don't believe any of these so-called lost books of the Bible. There's no such thing. There's no lost books of the Bible. Uh, only believe what's in the canon of Scripture here in the King James Bible. That's all that you need. Uh, but uh, Mary's expecting Jesus to do something here. Now, obviously, they've ran out of wine. They wouldn't have even started a, a marriage feast if they, if they didn't have any wine. They wouldn't do that. Uh, it, it was just not how it's done. And again, from what I understand about these weddings with this entire town there, um, the person in charge, and it, it seems like this governor and ruler, he mentions, it mentions him calling the bridegroom and, and saying something about, you know, well, you serve the, the good, you know, save the good wine for last. It's almost as if the bridegroom is the one responsible for what takes place during the, the wedding feast, even though the ruler is kind of over everything. And so uh, it's, it's kind of difficult to understand exactly everything that takes place there. But there was either poor planning on someone's part and they didn't buy enough wine, or there were so many people that showed up, they ran out early. However it happened, uh, they don't have any, and this is very embarrassing and not only that, but it could have resulted in a legal matter. Um, in those days, in that culture, you were legally bound. If you invited people to come to something like this, a feast, you were legally bound to make sure they're taken care of. And if you fail on that, they could actually sue you for their loss. And so uh, not only would it have been embarrassing, but it could have potentially been a lawsuit against the uh, the wedding party or, or the bridegroom or whoever, you know, was the responsible party. And so if any invited guest uh, had demanded compensation for their loss because they didn't get to celebrate and enjoy themselves like they should have, uh, then it could have been a, a problem. Now, that sounds crazy to us because we, did not, we don't do anything like that. And, of course, we also don't drink wine the way they did. I know there are some people in this uh country and even we're around here that drink wine because the stores are packed full of it now um, we have clean drinking water here and so we don't need the wine to mix with our water to keep from getting sick now in that day the Middle East is contaminated and drinking straight water would made you sick and so they would mix the wine with the water to drink so that it wouldn't make them sick and so they it was kind of a mixture of wine and water uh, that's why Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 5.23, Drink no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake and thine often infirmities. Timothy most likely was trying to make sure he never uh, got drunk 
and that uh, no one could ever say anything about him drinking. And uh, so Paul says, look, Timothy, I understand what you're doing here, but you need to drink the wine for your stomach's sake. You're getting sick all the time. He said, thine often infirmity. So obviously Timothy was sick all the time, probably sick to his stomach, probably had you know, diarrhea or whatever, you know, that water caused him to do, dysentery. And so Paul warns him, he says, look, for your stomach's sake, you need to take a little wine. He didn't say get drunk on it. Uh, And a lot of people use this portion of scripture that we're talking about to validate their drinking of wine. Uh, This message is not about abstaining from alcohol or drinking alcohol or anything like that. But let me say this. While the Bible does not forbid drinking wine, it is very clear it is sinful. The Bible shows us it's sinful to become drunk from it. Now, in that day, their wine was not the kind of wine that we have today. The kind of wine that is served today, most likely you drink a, a glass of it and you'd be drunk. Uh, in that day, it was more along the lines of grape juice. Now, it would ferment. It would ferment and it, they could become drunk off of it. And if they drank enough of it, they could become drunk off of it. But um, the Bible does warn us against uh, drinking wine. Proverbs 21, wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Proverbs 21, 17, he that loveth pleasure shall be a poor man. He that loveth wine and oil shall not be rich. Isaiah 28, 7 through 8, but they also have erred through wine. And through strong drink or out of the way. The priest and the prophet have erred through strong drink. They are swallowed up of wine. They are out of the way, very uh, out of the way through strong drink. They err in vision. They stumble in judgment. For all tables are full of vomit and filthiness, so that there's no place clean. That's disgusting. You see what's going on there. Uh, these uh, priests back in that day, they had access to this wine. And Isaiah writes, well, they've, they've stumbled in their judgment. They've got drunk and they're puking all over the place and everything else is filthy. Uh, Ephesians 5.18, your New Testament. Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. So over and over and over we're shown, this is just a few places from the Bible where we are uh, told that it's not wise to drink wine to get drunk. Getting drunk is a sin. And uh, Jesus would not do anything sinful. So therefore, we can say, without a doubt, the wine that he created, was it was not something sinful to do because he cannot sin. Uh, this was not a drunken booze fest. They wasn't belling up to the bar and drinking wine, trying to get it uh, drunk and all that stuff. Uh, this was a celebration. This was when friends and family were together celebrating the, the uh, marriage of these two people and so it wasn't a place to come and, and get drunk. And by the way, this uh, getting drunk, you can get drunk on more than just wine. Uh, the Bible mentions strong drink. I believe that to mean, uh, you know, kind of like uh, what we have today. We've got, uh, what is it? Um, I don't even know what they got. That whiskey and uh, uh, vodka, things like that. Those are very strong drinks. Uh, today, but uh, the Bible makes mention of them. drugs would be another way to get drunk, which would be a sin. And so uh, in that day, these people drunk the wine similar to what we would drink tea for lunch or, or supper. Uh, that's what they drank. All right, look at verse four. It's 
spent too much time on that. Jesus said unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. Now this is where it starts getting even more uncomfortable. Uh, it's already been kind of strange that Mary come and ask him or or come to him about the problem of the wine. What, is she the, the one looking over the wine for the party? But she's taking it upon herself for some reason to take it in her hands to take care of this issue. Again, I still think that she's trying to maybe either push Jesus into his ministry, you know, like, you know, it's time for you to start showing people who you are. Uh, maybe she was wanting to say, my son took care of the wine. I don't know. Uh, you decide for yourself. But we see that Jesus' answer to her kind of seems like a rebuke. And and he didn't call her mother. You notice that? Jesus said to her, woman. He didn't say mother. Now, mother, what have I to do with it? No, it's woman. What he's doing, he's making a separation now uh, between a child and their mother and a woman and a savior. Um, he's he's setting aside, uh, putting a distance between it there. He's still being respectful to her. But uh, this has always made me uncomfortable. And I think anybody that had been standing around listening also would have been uncomfortable. It's obvious Jesus is mildly rebuking her for, for asking this. Uh, those words he spoke, woman, what have I to do with it? That's just showing that Jesus is putting uh, kind of a distance between himself and his mother he is on a, his father's mission. If you remember back when he was 12 years old and he was missing and they went and found him in the temple and he was teaching the doctors and lawyers and he said he was about his father's business. So there's the son of Jesus and then there's the, the son of man, the son of God, the savior, the one about his father's business. He's about his father's business. He, he's not about taking care of people's wine problems. It's, that's not what he's here for. And so he tells her, my hour is not yet come. That hour, and this, the Bible speaks of this many times, the hour is not come. It's not yet his time. It's not time for what he's, that's leading up to his, his, um, his crucifixion, his death, burial, and resurrection. That is the time that's to come. Jesus said, it's not that time yet. It's not time for me to show people my power to do this thing. God will tell me, the Father will guide me on when it's my time uh, to do this. And he will do it in his own time. God directs this, not my mother. So, Mary must understand that while Jesus is her son, he's also the son of God and he has a divine purpose. And it, it's not, not to make sure people's not run out of wine. All right, verse 5. His mother saith unto the servants, whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. Okay, so I think she got the hint. <clears throat> However, it's obvious Jesus is going to take care of the problem. But there's a purpose for it. And so she tells the servants to do whatever Jesus tells them to do. He'll do it in his own time and not in her time. Not in the way she's going to go about it. But whatever he says unto you, do it. All right, verse 6. And there were set there six water pots of stone after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. Jesus said unto them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he saith unto them, Draw out now and bear unto the governor of the feast. And they bear it. All right. Now, as we said at the beginning of the message, this is Jesus' first recorded miracle. 
he would perform many other miracles. I believe the Gospel of John lists eight, I believe. But the other Gospels mentions even more. There's so many miracles that Jesus performed that we have no idea how many. In fact, in the Gospel of John, the very last verse in the last chapter, John 21, 25 says this, And there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which if they should be written, everyone, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. So we don't know how many miracles Jesus performed. The Bible doesn't give us all of them. Yeah, it, it's, we have the highlights, the ones that the Lord wants us to know about, and, and they have meaning behind them, but uh, lots of other ones took place. This miracle, however, it is, even though it seemed that Mary instigated him performing it, it is not sinful for Jesus to do this. He's not doing it to be known by men. Uh, he's not doing it to exalt himself. He's not doing it to show off. In fact, he's doing it to demonstrate his deity. His deity. We're shown that down in verse 11, if you want to go ahead and look down there. It says, this beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee. And here it is, and manifested forth his glory. And his disciples believed on him. Uh, only God can create something out of nothing. And so it's obvious that Jesus is God. I mean, there was no mistake about it. Only God would be able to do such a thing as to turn six pots of water in those, the amount there. I read in one, one place that it could have possibly been up to 120 gallons. And it's also interesting to notice it doesn't tell us exactly when the water turned to wine. Was it in the pot that it turned to wine? Was it when they scooped it out and poured it in the cup it turned to wine? Was it when the person drinking it started drinking it and it was wine? It doesn't say. All we know is this water became wine. And so these water pots, these were used for ceremonial cleansing. Most likely would have been near the doorway. Uh, six of them, uh, enough for all these wedding feast people to come through and and be cleansed before you know they sit down, wash their hands, and all this stuff. And so, uh, the no, I want you to notice though in this uh, in verses six through eight, this dialogue with Jesus to the uh, to the servants. Uh, it's very important. Uh, these servants obeyed Jesus in everything that he said to do. I don't see where they questioned him. I don't see where they uh, halfway filled the pots. In fact, it says they filled them to the brim. That means all the way to the very top. If you ever filled something to the brim, it's ready to spill over. And that's what they've done to these, these uh, six water pots. And uh, they obey him. Um, because of their obedience, they also get to share in the miracle that Jesus performs here. They're part of it. Now, the whole wedding party is not gathered around there saying... Ooh, look at this. Look what he's doing. You know, no, it was only the servants and his disciples that were around there. Because even the governor does not know how this happened. He doesn't know a miracle's been performed. But because of their obedience, these servants sharing the miracle of Jesus is wrought. I think these servants are a type of a Christian. I believe they're a type that comes to Christ. I believe we see in this... Um, Servants that Jesus comes, they hear his word, they obey him, they believe in him, and Jesus performs the miracle. 
and I believe it is a type of, uh, of someone being saved. Now, it shows how when we are faithful, though, to Christ, that we always get the best. Being faithful and obedient to the Lord Jesus, we share in his glory. So many times we want to jump out there and do things on our own because we have the power, the means, the money, whatever it is, the talent, and we think, well, I can just do that, and I'll take off and do it, and I'm bad about it. You know, if there's something I see needs done, and I know I can do it, and I've got, you know, the power to do it, I'll just jump out and do it, even without consulting the Lord. Well, Lord, is this what your will is? If we would wait upon the Lord and do what he wants us to do, things would be so much better. Um, I was reading one Bible commentator I, I have in my set of commentaries. His name's Henry Mahan. He's a, he's a preacher. But he says this about this section. He said, we have here a picture of the regeneration of a sinner. The sinner is empty like the water pots. The sinner receives the water of the written word at the command of Christ. The water produced the best wine by the power of Christ. The change was a miracle, as is the new birth. The miracle manifested forth his glory. The governor proclaimed it to be the best wine, as truly his grace and redemption is far better than the best that the world can give. That's a pretty good explanation there that he gave. And so, again, a type of a, a, a Christian or, or someone coming to Christ. All right, look at verse 9 and 10. When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom and saith unto him, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine, and when men have well drunk, then that which is worse. But thou hast kept the good wine until now. <laughs> All right. So this governor, the ruler, he is the kind of the overseer of this thing. And that's why Jesus sent the servants to him. He said, take it to the ruler, the governor, whatever. Uh, take it him first. Uh, and take notice that the servants knew where it had came from, but the governor did not. But he had no idea. Uh, this just goes to show that Jesus didn't perform this miracle to for the entire party, and it was only in front of those servants and disciples. Uh, now, had Jesus made a big show out of this, most likely what would have happened, all these people would have suddenly said, oh, let's make him king. He has his power. Because they do it later on. And so, uh, it, and Jesus told Mary, he said, it's not, my time's not come yet. It's not time for that. And so he didn't do it in front of everyone. So that uh, it wasn't known. His hour has not come. But the governor is very impressed and, with the bridegroom. He thinks the bridegroom is the one responsible for all this. And uh, he thinks, you know, well, the bridegroom, he's waited around, uh, you know, later to give the good wine. Most people give it right up front. Everybody's satisfied. And then, he start, and then they start bringing in the, the weak stuff, uh, the bad wine. He said, that's what he said. Most men serve the good wine first and then start serving the lesser wine. And so this shows us that when we wait on Jesus, we get the best. Waiting on him is always best. Uh, so many times we're like Mary and Martha when Lazarus died. And they didn't think Jesus was, uh, he's too late. You know, when he came, he said, you've waited too late. You know, he already, he stinks by now. You, you, just, you didn't get here on time. 
But we all know that the Lord was actually on time. And if they had just trusted with faith that he had it all took care of, they'd have been much better. But if we will learn to wait on the Lord, we'll be better. And like I said, I'm bad about it. You know, I'm not going to tell you I'm perfect. I'm bad about doing things on my own. I'm a very impatient person. And uh, I'm trying, though. I'm trying to do better. I got verse 11. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory, and his disciples believed on him. All right, now here we see the purpose for the miracle. It was to manifest forth his glory. And that's always the Lord's purpose, is to manifest his glory. Everything that God does, everything that Jesus did here on this earth, was to manifest forth his glory. Everything that we do for the Lord is to manifest his glory, not for our own glory. Again, that's where we mess up. We want the applause of men. We want people to look up at us. We want people to praise us and clap for us and uh, give us likes on social media and all that stuff. We think, you know, we're just, you know, you do a lot of things for the Lord. There's a very fine line, though, that you have to be careful not to cross from doing it for the Lord and doing it for men's applause. Because when we're doing it for men's applause, those things get burnt up. Wood, hay, and stubble. When we do it from the Lord, it's like that gold that, the, that put in the fire and it burns off the dross and it, it becomes perfect gold. Those things count. So we need to make sure everything that we do for the Lord, whether it's singing a song, um, you know, teaching a class, preaching, um, things doing as a deacon, visiting people, posting on social media, that is one of the biggest things today that I believe that Christians are being, we have a fault. Uh, getting on there is so easy to post something and it really you're bragging. Even if it's something that happened at church, you know, the parking lots were packed, we had to bring out chairs, we had to do this, we had to do that, you know, we standing room only. Are we bragging on the Lord or are we bragging because, hey, look what we did? And I believe that is what most people are doing today. You know? And so we've got to be careful. We're doing it for the Lord, not for ourselves. But notice there it says uh, his disciples believed on him. They already believed in him, or they wouldn't have been following him. They believe him already, believe in him already. I think what this means is that they more fully understood his deity, or it solidified in their minds exactly who he is. He's the son of God. You know, there's no doubt about it. You saw what he did, and so they believed in him. Uh, verse 12. After this, he went down to Capernaum, he and his mother and his brethren and his disciples, and they continued there not many days. Okay, so Jesus, his disciples, his mothers, and it says brethren. Brothers, I believe, that's what it means. Um, you know, Jesus had brothers. And they all leave Cana. Obviously, they're all at the wedding party. They leave there and they go to Capernaum, which is about 16 miles, even more north in Galilee. Now, this is where Jesus will set up really his home base. In fact, over in the Gospel of Matthew, it's called his own city. Matthew chapter 9, verse 1. And he entered into a ship and passed over and came into his own city. He, it doesn't mean uh, Nazareth. 
It doesn't mean uh, Bethlehem. It doesn't mean any of these places. It means uh, Capernaum. He kind of set up his headquarters. I believe Peter's mother-in-law had a home there, and, and they stayed in it. But uh, this is in the same area of Galilee. Jesus spent most of his earthly ministry in the areas of Galilee. We know he did go to Jerusalem at times. John mentions four different times that he goes to Jerusalem. Could have went more than that. Uh, in fact, in the very next verse, uh, we didn't read this morning, but uh, in verse 13, it, it talks about him going to Jerusalem. And so we know that uh, he does go there, but most of his time in ministry is centered around Galilee. If you look at a, the map I gave you last week, I don't have mine with me. But uh, you should see the Sea of Galilee right in the middle of it. There it is. So you can keep it there. But if you look at that map, look at around all those cities around the Sea of Galilee. That is where Jesus spent most of his ministry. All those cities that's listed there. Uh, there's, the, what is it, Capernaum and Cana and Nazareth and um, Decapolis. I don't remember all of them, but they're, um, you've got it on your map. I've probably got a map in my Bible. But, um, it's, it's just important to understand that, that Jesus did spend most of his ministry in that area um, witnessing to those people. Those were, those were his people. And those are the ones also that rejected him. So, uh, you know, we call this entire area Palestine, and that map right there I gave you, uh, today it's, it's all called Palestine. All those people were of Jewish, most of them were of the Jewish race. Of course, you did have other places that were not Jewish, and uh, uh, pockets that he even told people not to go to, and things like that, where the Gentiles were. But uh, Jesus did spend most of his ministry around that area, and uh, even... On the Sea of Galilee. That's why a lot of times they call him the man from Galilee. So uh, anyway, and we'll we'll stop off right there and start back up next time, Lord willing, with um, verse 13 and talking about that trip he makes down to Jerusalem. It gets very interesting, some of the things that occur there. And uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you so much for the message today. Pray, Lord, it's been helpful. Lord, thank you for all the details you've given us in your word so that we can understand you even better. Lord, I pray that you help us with our problem of stepping out on our own and leaving you in the back of our thoughts. Lord, may we put you first and consult you before we do anything, especially those things that are intended to glorify you. God, we're doing it for the right reason. And Lord, not to be seen by men or to give men's applause. Lord, I pray for those that are lost today. God, um, I pray for those at the funeral that we had yesterday. I, I pray for that family, Lord, that you'll give them a healing, Lord, and um, you can show them more perfect love, Lord, that they need. And Lord, we just uh, we pray for our church, pray that you help us, and it will be uh, in your service and glorify you in everything we do. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.